This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. It is education tonight. It is Thursday, the 18th of January. It is half past seven, and it is absolutely freezing. Who said climate change wasn't a thing? Somebody goes silly. Um, Tonight we are going to be joined by the wonderful Brent Poland and Adam Spence and they are going to be talking all about the rise of homeschooling. And at half past seven, Brent Poland has turned up on time. So congratulations Brent, the New Year's resolution is clearly working very well. Um, while we connect Brent, it's worth me telling you about the show we've just had on Teachers Talk Radio. We've had a fantastic show, um, The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn with Ben Kingston Hughes um, and it was all about Ben's book Sage Education Why Children Need Joy and Brent is making some sort of peculiar sound over me so I'm going to mute him um, well I'll just tell you very quickly about that show um, we had fantastic show Ben Kingston Hughes um, talking about why children need joy which is I know something that Brent and Adam are particularly passionate about actually children having joyful experiences and um, we looked at what actually what joy actually is the components of joy we looked at um who joy is for and the spoiler alert it is for everyone we looked at some of the barriers to joyful experiences in schools we looked at the science of joy we talked about things like endorphins and dopamine and of course we talked about the social aspects of joy um so without further ado if you want to catch up on that show by the way we've got a lovely post out on our website ttradio.org forward slash post forward slash why hyphen children hyphen need hyphen joy or just simply go to ttradio.org forward slash blog and find it on there um, as part of our featured shows posts but without further ado to talk about the rise of homeschooling brent and adam joy joy feeling i, I think the problem with getting us on time is you end up being brunch for their alphabet <laughs> <laughs> i count the hyphen there's a lot of joy that that, that <laughs> you have to be fair that i think that one of the things i was remarking on recently some of my colleagues um, over my maybe three decades now it's my third decade teaching and you're not far behind is that there used to be a lot more joy in teaching there used to be a lot more joy in schools there used to be just a lot more joy and and, and it's like that thing that you make of it you know you can have you, you can be the positive thing if the glass half full glass half empty and there are times actually I, I'm, I'm told off for whistling or singing down the corridor or doing something crazy like yeah. singing joy to the world, which was my thing before Christmas. And where the kids were sometimes, you know, downtrodden or feeling like it's getting close to Christmas. I kind of went into hyper joy mode <laughs> to the point where it's like, oh, please don't start singing. I, I actually made kids behave because they were like, sir, could you just chide down? Just, just let's get on with the work. We'll, we'll stop on the way if you just stop singing. And, and that, that was the thing, that, yeah, that yeah, became I, I, my I, thing. It's, it's funny, isn't it, when you start doing things like that, people kind of look a bit kind of, like you've, like you've lost it in, in some respect, but actually it's just, you know, it's just a natural thing. It's, I'm, I'm a bit, I think I'm a generally happy, positive person. It's... I, I kind of play the crazy Irishman card a bit too much, and they're kind of like, you know, leprechaun running down the corridor doing crazy things. But it's my thing, it's what I've always done. I've always found joy in our job. And you know, when people say, you know, the thing that they enjoy the most about teaching, is actually it's joy and the same with the classroom and the kids say you know they enjoy your lessons and and that is the psychology of it that you know if you can make people happy if you can actually um can make those connections they always talk about relationships don't they is the key to it 
and, and relationships can be reinforced in the same way that any relationship between any sort of people or even people to animals can be reinforced with that kind of the joy, you know, the joy of a dog going for a walk, you know, and, and it loves its master for it, the joy of children learning, the joy of us seeing the children learning. And I think we need to get that back in the teaching a little bit because it has been knocked out a little bit or it just... It's the perception, isn't it? That you know, and there's a lot of people doing a lot of work about mood hoovering. So I think that's a really good piece of work that we can. Um, we could obviously, yeah. So, um, so we're going to we're going to get on to today's show. We've got a follow up on last week's attendance, and we're going to uh, have a deep dive into uh, homeschooling, kind of what's going on, what the patterns, and see if we can again see if we can call with some some solutions as always. Yeah. As it's really hard one, really tough one to follow, but. It links to again different pe- different groups of people being outside of the mainstream inverted commas um, education at the moment. So um, this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, uh, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? You can use the code JCTTR two three two four for twenty percent off your order. Don't miss out and visit johncatsbookshop.com to explore the full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Oh, you're getting cheesy at that. Yeah, yeah to be fair. Yeah, they are. To be fair, John Cat are a um, good publisher. There's, there's so much diversity in their reading material. Uh, it's good because, you know, that's the thing with, with us teachers in pedagogy. We, we, we sometimes think we've got it and then you read something and go, oh, that's a good idea. And, and some of it sticks and then some of it you think, no. But that's the thing, obviously, we need to, to read it as part of our CPD. Uh, always look happy for that, how, how important uh, even CPD is in professional development. And one of the things, of course, about Teachers Talk Radio uh, is Teachers Talk Radio, we're always looking for, for new talent. We're always looking for, for teachers with different experiences. We've got people from all across Europe, um, from all different stages of their teaching careers, um, from all different sort of backgrounds as well, and, and from primary, secondary private schools, public schools, uh, and that's where it's very diverse ones. you like to call us the, the Borg, assimilate to mind, hive mind, teachers talk radio. So if you do feel like joining us as well, let us know. Um, we're always open for, for new people coming on. And the beautiful thing is we're just ordinary teachers. I've done a 10 periods in a row the last two days with the parents evening to seven o'clock last night. So hopefully my voice lasts yes. to the next hour and a half. Brent, <laughs> can I interrupt? Yep. This is my week of two PPAs. Oh. Gosh, I had Tuesday period two, and my next one and my last one of the week is Friday period four. Okay, and I bet you next week, I guarantee you, you've got one day, probably Monday, where you've got like three three periods, and then when you do insets, I always had I had that a week week ago. My one day that I get quite a free freeze is taken up by insets, and I'm like, I'm all right. Mondays and Monday, my is year thirteen period one, two, and three, so. But, you know, oh, it's, a different, it's a different, it's a different sort of pressure, but it's oh. a really good way to start the week. Yeah, you uh, look at the timetable and that, and go. You've got your, sort yeah. of Yeah, my. It's always the last three years. It's Monday period one, period two has always been double politics, um, and it will be forever because there's no need to change that part of the timetable. So I'll never have a ropey key stage three class on a Monday morning. That's one Monday afternoons. Well, do you know what's coming up to the general elections soon? I I might have to swing by, you, you know, your school and, and we might we might have to. Well, um, we've got some exciting political news, um, which we might be able to share in the next week or so. Um, uh, but um, I'm going to keep tight lipped over here. Oh, you you do that. Yeah, you're you've always got an iron in the oven somewhere. Else. 
So, but I have the last couple of years where I've had my time taken, it's always that looking, what's them day? We'll try it. It's true. It, it, yes, it's true. You do love. Or maybe look at the pumps as well. Maybe Wednesday. But you always have the double thing. If you have a, a free last and a Friday, you say to yourself, "Oh, great last thing and a Friday," but it is the most unproductive oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. time ever. And of course, you gain time when you lose your exam classes, and you, and you see that pattern as well. You think you always think you're going to get more done, but yeah, the, the, sometimes tables are imbalanced, and it's even when I've got uh, class, you know, like computer classes, or you know, alternative curriculums, I'm teaching three subjects. And I, and I have one day where I'm in four different rooms and five different subjects. And, and by the end of the day, my head is absolutely spinning. So you do sometimes check what rooms you're in or what you've got, what kids you've got. And who you, And I, I suppose that's one of the things you try not to do because you want to walk into a class completely blank and sort of a, yes, I've got my year nines now. And your heart does sink. You say to yourself, sometimes maybe the issues I might have with that class might be already for the fact I go in ready five, sort of stressed <laughs> up and, and sort of ready to go like waiting for it. And they're like, oh, here we go. And it is that you kind of sometimes have to go in with the sort of the blank slate mentality. And, uh, but going down to it, we'll have a look at homeschooling. But a couple of issues I want to have a quick, quick run through about a couple of news stories, I think, which are really interesting for this week. We've had um, the Catherine Burgos thing court case, which I has generated, you know, was a two hour debate last night on talk radio. And it was quite interesting that um, because I, I find myself conflicted with that one of. I get trying to protect your resource of your school. I get trying to not make exceptions. I get it's a successful school, but you know, denying people the right to practice their religion is, you know, I, I don't know how you can get past British values on that. I don't know how you can say mutual respect and tolerance. I, I think that one is is going to slowly burn that story, and it's gonna it's gonna be one of those wedge issues of I think it will divide people because unfortunately it will divide people because religion does doesn't it? and freedom to practice religion i just think there could have been a compromise there but i mean i teach in a faith-based school people come to our school knowing even they're not religious that they are going to you know say a prayer in the mornings and they don't not do that but they, they buy into that and and, and and i get with the secular school that you're trying to protect the secular school but it's it's, it's tricky one that one yeah. Oh, the obviously the the, the the faith of the pop, uh, school population is very important to them, and we 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 we, we are very sympathetic. We make kind of very good provisions uh, uh, for it. For example, we have our hygiene room, and uh, you know uh, there there are coordinated uh, prayer times. There are members of staff that kind of run them, and actually one of the delights I've said it to many many members of staff over the past them, it's wonderful to see a room full of people collectively praying i you know uh, actually, actually i look at it and think of the discipline that goes into that yeah and everything that they're doing i you know I, i'm marvelous at sometimes thinking this is fantastic but there's an element of mindfulness about there, that there, there is, yeah. there's an element yeah. of, of therapy mindfulness taking yeah. the moment taking the temperature down you know and i i'm you know there are people who are non-religious yeah. but then there are people who are you know who are non-religious but are into you know breathing exercise and mindfulness exercise is a strong correlation for me you know, between those yeah of kind of what what is important you know in a, in a day and you know it's, it's it's amazing how for me how the young people navigate this in modern in yeah modern society as well and how they kind of go about it so um yeah banning no um you know so but at the same time I understand you want to protect the ethos of your school. And if you choose to go to a school knowing that that is the policies of the school, so I find myself conflicted in this because, you know, I want the rights of freedom of people to practice their religion. As a person of religious background, but I chose to teach in a school of faith. 
so I would fit in that school. So even I, you know, when I choose the, chose the school I was going to teach in, there would, there, in my mind, I thought, do I fit in there? Does my ethos fit in there? Do, so, so, so was how, my person, you know? How does the actual law stand on this? Between terms of well, this is the, but this is the test yeah, case, because, isn't it? Because it, because it, it um, in employment law, uh, that there would there would have to, there would have to be some provisions. In employment law, they'd be they'd be crucified. Pardon the pun, but they would be. Yeah, I had different faith-based rooms for people to go and observe their practice. And I think that's what the judgment will come down to. Because again, I I don't know when you read through the minutiae of the British values agenda, and the schools are offsetted in that. And you tell yourself a school that's outstanding in Ofsted, you know, how does that pass those British value tests yeah. when it is not being as inclusive? So I think it is complicated. And, and I do find myself swinging back and forward to going, you know, standing up for the rights of the school, standing up for the ethos of school, fully, you know, fully respect that. Brilliant, brilliant school for what it's doing with its data. Absolutely. But I think it's, um, it's I really hate sad when you see threats have been made and things like that and it's been blown out of proportion. So I do, I, I am saddened by it because I think there are more things to be focused on But I, and I think it could be a handle better. But it's, it's it will be one of those issues that will increase and I hope they resolve it and I hope it is resolved are, are amicably. You, are you suspicious that a, a, a case has kind of been deliberately ch chosen to... Honestly? Uh, let's, ra let's raise it, let's test. I think... Let's, let's test this. I, well, we had a scenario, didn't we not, where same as the, the transgender situation where I, you know, we saw a, a parent sending a child in with a recording device, did we not? Yeah. And and then baiting a teacher into certain comments mm -hmm. and then recording it. And and then obviously they have their kind of gotcha moment. Yeah. I think we're living in that society now where, you know, people are trying to make a lot of issues about things for their own agenda. I mean, it's part of this whole culture wars thing and I think this is a test case in a sense of you know where where do we stand but you have a lot of contradictions there don't you we are a tolerant you know society we are a multi multi multi-faith society and it brings into question I mean as, as one of the presenters said last night you you, you have children in, in faith-based schools who are not faith-based who are singing hymns in the morning and saying prayers I have that scenario where I've got maybe 60 percent of my cohort in school who are not you're not religious who then go into an act of worship every morning, or they have a prayer every morning, and I'm encouraging them to, to say a prayer of which they've got no connection to whatsoever. Yeah. But the thing of it is, that's our ethos, that's our school. When they when they send their children, the parents send their children to that school, they have to have 10% of the RE curriculum to be a faith-based Catholic school. So, sorry, if you don't want to send your child to a Catholic school and have them have a 10% of RE curriculum, and the kids do that, so they well, I'm still in RE. Sorry, you're in a Catholic school. But what they get from that is it's the trade-off of you get all the other stuff from that. And I suppose in Catherine Bourbon Singh's defense, and I can always say that I do defend her here, but those parents buy into the fact that their children are in a successful school and therefore others from other backgrounds, other other religious backgrounds, have sacrificed what she suggests is sacrificed some of their liberties in order to buy into that secular ethos, which then their children are successful. So I do get that point. You, 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 schools are what they are. Schools represent what the ethos of the school is, the governing body thinking behind that. So I do understand why they have drawn that line. I just think there's a way that they could have been handled and that could have diffused the situation, managed it better. And I think you're probably right. There does seem to be a, a kind of rock meets a hard place on that. And this, and I, I, I just I feel I feel sorry for that community then because there's probably more going on there. That's 
distract, going to distract from, and possibly. But one of the things that's interesting, and and I think there is there is something hidden in the details about what they said. They said that this argument, much like the toilets, much like the vaping, much like I think there's an underlying current there that they demanded that they wanted to do something, and then apparently it kicked off a whole precedented behavioral issue. In other words, this created huge pop with lack of cooperation. So it sounds as if it was a demand to do something, didn't get what you want, and then it kicked off. So I get why the strictest head teacher in the country would say, I want to hold the line. Wouldn't be the strictest head teacher in the country if she didn't. But equally, you're right, it may have been something, we don't know everything, could be an engineer to create that situation. A school, again, gone back to this before, the school in terms of getting the best out of the learner, you know, wants to make the school as safe for that child as possible. Mm. And if part of their safety is to observe their religion mm. within the school day, there's surely got to be some kind of provision that's been to be allowed during the school day for that to happen. Compromise. Yeah, and I, and I, can't, yep. I can't see how it can't happen. Uh, there's lots of schools up and down the country that do have um, multi-faith um, you know, population and, you know, there surely can be some negotiation around how that could happen. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's why I just that's why I asked, probe the question. Do you think it's being kind of forced as one of these hinge issues, fringe issues? Just when, when, when just, you think. Just to make a point and get it out into the. Well, if you've watched the Mr. Bates thing yeah. and the, the, the High Court, the, this court case is going to be extremely expensive. Yeah. And 30 children seem to have obviously required the ability to take that to the high court so yeah. i would agree with you i'd say that there is you know certain rights and rights groups that will yeah. say you know we have the fundamental right to religion yeah. and this is something that should underpin you know our society here is that we have the right to freedom of expression freedom of religion but you're in an institution you're right you're in a, you're in a school and and that school this is part of that that idea of you know free schools as well and it's coming on to it's connected to what we're saying here because You'd have a situation, we're talking, going to talk about homeschooling in a minute, but one of the reasons people homeschool is to say, well, I'm not happy with what my child has been taught. I'm not happy with sex education. I'm not happy with the curriculum. I'm not happy with it. Yeah. And, well, the, you know, the school essentially said not meeting the needs of the person. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, and we've said before about, is it time for schools just to become businesses? Well, sometimes they don't do very well, do they? At the thing about meeting their audience or meeting their customers. But, customer but I think they're half in, half out. I think schools are half in and half out with a business model because they're trying to be business models. But actually, they forget to talk to their consumers. They, yeah. Because you take some schools, you, you find, you know, in the local press, you know, my, my child's being excluded for this because they're wearing um, the wrong trainers. They've got a haircut. Or, or the usual face around about May. I love, I love May and June because there's usually a child sitting there with, you know, going, I've been excluded from my prom. And there's a mother going, it's unfair, it's not fair, my child has been victimised. And, and you usually have that sad face, yeah. kids usually got that sad face, and you think, what's little Johnny done to be excluded <laughs> from his prom? But local news, because being in school, we know that the keys they brought it to. Normally do everything together from there. Sometimes there's a sad one, you think, how on earth have they got to these schools? Oh. Like everything's done to kind of get there. So if you don't go to the prom, you are really... Well, you know, September is, you know, my child's been excluded for footwear. You know that, you know, 
you, certain times of the year, you, you look at the newspaper headlines, you go, here comes, here it is. Yes, it's the crazy haircut time of the year. Yes, the kids have all the barbers, have 50 tram lines, they're all purple, and they've come back and they've gotten their, their school's haircut policy, and they're told, you're going to be an inclusion until your hair grows out. Yeah. And, and we all know this, that there is this connection, there's this sort of disconnect that's happening between some schools and their communities. Yeah. And it seems that they have argued in that sense, the Catholic Burbison side have argued that they want to preserve the secular nature and the cohesion of the schools by ensuring that one group is not given preferential treatment over the other. And schools are trying to be even-handed. Yeah. And I suppose it's that kind of it's that kind of idea, that ideology, which is quite conservative when you think about it. If you tolerate this, what will be next? Where will it end? Where will it go? And that is that kind of drawing that line and saying, no, 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 that's, this is, we're not going to allow these group of people to dictate to us and tell us what we will do. And you think it's power, isn't it? It's power games. And I think there's a lot of that going on. If you widen that out, just take this issue as a separate issue, but if you widen that out into who's got the right to talk about uniform, who's got the right to what your children are studying, who's got the right to make sure that my child's got this. There's a definite feeling of there is more demands placed on schools. And I keep saying the Starbucks school thing, you, you know, parents want schools to be, you know, like a Starbucks when you go in and you order whatever version of a coffee you want. And my child, I want that coffee that way for my child. And if I don't get what I also allows the option for the next day to order something else if it's not the because we're, we're not into the greater good any longer. We're not into, you know, the my, my child is part of a collective. It's, it's basically, I want what I want. If I don't get what I want, well, then, you know. We, we've talked before. Yeah, so peak individualism. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is maybe this is it. Yeah. Well, should we just go through a couple more? Yeah. Eight o'clock, we'll start on the homeschooling. So this one obviously piques my interest. Pure people, pure, poorer pupils, economically deprived areas and peoples who are poorer. Um, pure pupils. Pure you know. <laughs> economically deprived pupils from backgrounds of disadvantage are less likely to be admitted to high-performing secondary schools, comprehensive secondary schools, that is. So new studies find that, that, that pupils who are poor um, who are likely to be admitted to comprehensive schools less, and that's come from the Sutton Trust that said over 150 comprehensive schools in England were more socially selective than average grammar schools. Wow. Now, I think if my listeners are being honest, well, they probably hold a school in your head Hold it, hold it in your head and think, is that school that's really good, is it really good because it has a selective policy or is it sort of a way of all the, all the kids go to that area and the other kids go to the other area? <laughs> is it kind of like a grammar school in disguise? Is it acting like a grammar school? I know in my, my area there is a school that does that and it is a faith-based school and people seem to gravitate if they have a certain bank balance. So, and then certain um, catchment area and even live in a certain catchment area. So horrible as it may sound, it sounds exactly what we know or does already happen, that people gave the system, people um, even fake birth certificates and, 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 real, and they've even had a situation where people do the whole um, second home in a postcode to get a child into an area. And that's been happening for a generation, really. There's nothing shocking in that. Analysis of the top 50 secondary schools in England found that the top comprehensive schools took 40% fewer pupils eligible for free school meals than the average comprehensive. Sorry, if you are going to have a system which is all about results, if you are going to have Ofsted grading you about results, and you are going to have a system which sets schools against each other, then that's what's going to happen. It's, it's the Bible of finish. We have a social Darwinian sort of um, education system that seems to get the gap and the social mobility even wider. The comprehensive schools, which are meant to be all-encompassing, aren't they? 
that's a complete contradiction to what the idea of a comprehensive system is, which shows for me how broken the comprehensive system is because the comprehensive system is meant to give an equal education to all children. And even they are being selective and they're meant to be the non-selective sector. So that, yeah. to be honest with you, for me, just encompasses where education is going wrong, that even the part of education that's meant to give people a fair crack of the whip is even actually not even doing that. So that's the Sutton Trust, and I do trust the data from the Sutton Trust that they're an excellent, um, yeah. Um, this one, obviously, uh, this is for Paul at the primary school, the guys there, and we, we again, we talked about this with the toothbrushing, but this is going to, I think, going to be a, an electoral situation, and it seems the nanny state seems to be making a comeback. And my play on this is it's a vote winner. It works well with families. It's it's not asking what teachers, not asking the education sector. It's a bit like the wraparound care. It's a lot of promises going to be made come election time. But it's the toothbrushing program and flavoured vapes. Now, honestly, I think the flavoured vapes for children big time should have been banned a long time ago. But Chris Thorne has been accused of the nanny state. And what he has said is that a child's health is a societal responsibility as well as a parent's responsibility. So it's a question of, where does the state start and where does the parental situation start? Now, a horrible situation that we with the two-year-old. And then it's a horrible, horrible situation. The funny thing is the first thing that people have done with that horrible situation is round on the um, the um, the social worker and the local authority. And it's just one of those things. And that, that one is at United Zen. And, and I read through what that social worker actually did. They went beyond their job, went way beyond their job, and I don't know what else they were meant to have done. And they... It's right that they've opened an inquiry. Lessons will be learned, et cetera, et cetera. But there seems to be an unfortunate pile onto individuals and what they do rather than a collective... And and just an acknowledgement that it's a tragic situation. But actually, people are starting to say, where does the responsibility for the other parent come in? that they hadn't contacted their child at two years old or their father for from November to January and yet then goes to the media and I know it's a horrible situation yeah, and they are grieving. And there's two inquiries, isn't it? Because the police yeah. are But it opens that idea of where where does this why does something happen is the first thing that people go for is to go for the social worker, go for the teacher, go for the police, go for the NHS, to go for the hard working public sector worker, who's thank God is probably patching stuff together with bloody glue tape. I'd say blue tack at the moment because we're not going to glue tack. You know, so it, it, it's raised really, I think if we are to be the state and we are to be more responsible, we need the resources, we need the manpower, we, we, we need the backup rather than being sort of told that we are to be toothbrushing children. And I think that's not what the majority of us in education need to be told that we want. We're told, going to be told to be responsible for more things. And, no, and is it controversial to say that maybe teachers might not be the greatest at what te- teeth brushing? <laughs> I've mean, subjected some teachers to go, "Whoa!" <laughs> well, I know I had some of the teachers back in my day who went, "You terrible coffee breath." Yeah, them. yeah, that's what I mean. Like if I, if I say to my kids, "What what names do they about your teachers?" They they immediately say kind of breath and teeth. So, I don't know. Are you insulting the teachers before asking for having halitosis or something? It's just something, it's just something they said to that I was thinking, we were talking about teeth brushing. We were talking about, we're the ones that go, teachers are going on teach, um, brushing teeth. I was thinking, not that, you know, a, I, I, can, I can think of a few people that I've been taught by in the past. And then you kind of, you kind of leaned into to help. Well, I suppose that's what, a variation. What, what, what? I suppose there's a variation of, um, we, we had the healthy eating initiative about 15 years ago. One of my colleagues 
he was happily admit that he had two dinners a night. The, the guy was the most unhealthiest individual I've ever known in my life and was pretty, you know, okay with it. And he was a lovely guy, of course. And he stood up and, and he launched our healthy initiative. And we're kind of looking at each other in the staff room going, seriously, we, the one person we chose is probably the most unphysically healthy person. And he's standing in front of the children telling them to eat healthy. And I'm thinking, eat healthy? He was in the pub last night having a couple of beers and a Friday breakfast for dinner. And then the next day he's telling the children, you know, about healthy eating. So it's, you know, we, we, we have to, you're right. I mean, we, we should practice what we preach and we try to because kids do sometimes. I always, you know, the kids turn that up to you and, and do do that thing to you. And they say, but sir, you don't. And I, I it does drive me do lally when the kids go, but you can walk down the corridor. You can do that. And I'm like, I can drive a car. I can smoke a cigarette. I can, I can have an alcoholic drink. You can't. And the one that always, I would flip around and the kids do that, you know, you're this, you're that. You swear at me, you get a day in, in inclusion and you get told off. I swear at you, at least my job. If you want the consequences to be equal, by all means, we can do that. But you'll do six hours homework a night when I do six hours working then, if you, if you want that equality. And they do sort of realize, actually, yeah, you're all right, sir. It's all right. Um, I don't want to jump on seeing uh, the main the main topic. I don't know if, uh, Tom, do you want to just jump in on what you shared on Twitter about the Long Suns Academy in Cambridge, about this kind of supersized classes? Oh, crying. The... I did that on my, I, I did that on my personal account, didn't I? I think. Not on TTR, but, um, yeah. Um, we, we, what was it? Let me, let, let me have a quick look and see what I... Oh, it, it, it's just, it's just about trust that's having trouble retaining staff and now facing kind of supersized... Uh, classes. Well, it's interesting. Well, but I think but, but the situation is interesting. It's, ha it's happening everywhere. It's happening everywhere. We, you know, our school, we've put out our fifth advert for a um, teacher of science since November. And so far, I don't think we've had any applicants. Um, two years we're waiting for a teacher of science. That's why I was teaching physics last year. So, yeah. But, yeah, we, I mean, we've got three physics teachers, but we, I think we really need a chemistry teacher at the moment. Um, so I think it's our fault for holding you. But no, it's very interesting because um, it, it, it's a school, what, what is it? It's, it's Long Sands Academy in Cambridge yeah. and it's lost 8% of its teachers at Christmas. Um, it's an any, but it's got an NEU strike ballot where 93% are voting in favour of moving to a vote on striking, so 93% in favour of voting on whether to strike on an 81% turnout, and the SUWT is also against ballot. Um, it's over, basically, um, a launch of a new timetable in the final days of the previous term, which saw class sizes in two-year groups rising with a number of classes shrinking, with um, teachers um, leaving. So, how many, so nine teachers left at Christmas, um, and the trust has said, we are sorry that the timing of the changes has caused concern for some staff. We're keen to work closely with our union colleagues as we make necessary improvements at Long Sands. Now, what's interesting in this case, and why I think it's caught the attention of some people, including myself, is this is the trust where the secondary director said at another secondary school at the start of the year, if you don't like our policies, you can leave to the teachers. Which they've done. And the teachers are now voting with our feet. <laughs> well, we reap of what we sow is. Yeah. But, but it's not the thing now. I mean, I, 
I had a parents meeting last night, and I, and I said to a parent, he was wasn't exactly fully cooperating. I said, what, "What's your alternative here? Do you, you?" They were complaining about a colleague of mine. You know, we're short of teachers, and I said, "No, we're even short of teachers here. We're doing our best. Would you like to help us out?" You know, and I was really saying to that that that, that parent, you know, what if you want to keep criticizing us, you want to keep pushing us, we'll lose more teachers, and what what you're gonna have a worse situation. And I I don't think that that's hit on yet with maybe some some trusts. I think the days of them thinking they could just sort of hire and fire or, and I know a school that did that where they took in a lot of staff about four years ago I think it was four years ago took a lot of staff in and then they brought in a new new head teacher who basically ruled the roost and, and, and then cleared out the staff and then 36 members of staff left in a couple of months and of course they could be easily be replaced back in those days but that's just not happening now because people are saying well I'm not putting up with this I, I go somewhere else and, and it is leading to large gaps and especially it seems that the pattern does show large gaps in certain uh, underperforming areas and deprived areas, which again is another another aspect as well. Um, this I, think, I, I think the point that we're making here yeah. is that, at, that teachers are at this moment now more than ever such a precious commod commodity. Exactly. And if you ask any school, any head teacher, if you ask any head teacher in any state school in England what the biggest challenge is for them at the moment, it's not behaviour, it's not attendance, it's not even Ofsted, it's recruitment. Yeah, and especially in the core subjects because you know you you know you're judged in the, on those core subjects, maths and science. With a shadow of a doubt, we were that that's really if you drill into it even more, it's in those two core subjects where you're getting huge issues and retention. And one of the things that um, I was made aware of was that some of the local um, providers, the teacher training providers and, 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 and university providers don't have the number of particular likes of science teachers coming through. There isn't that, I'm not saying fresh supply, but there isn't the kind of cavalry that's going to come in and replace those people that are leaving. There, there isn't that, that demand mm. now for teachers. So oh. the rest, we're not going to be rescued by an influx of new 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 teachers into the profession, right? Here's one here's one for you, Brent. All all of our science trainees on our skit have a job in September. Already. All of them. Already. Middle of January. They've all got a job in September. That doesn't normally happen until May, March, April, maybe. Straight away, oh my word. The schools have snapped up. You wow. need to be decent. Let's give you a contract in September. Nice. And yet, you know, our generation, people were... I was just May. I was just May. May? I, I, I was May, yeah. I was April 1st. Were you joking? <laughs> <laughs> I did save out the phone when they rang me up. Well, you know, it worked out well for you, my friend. It worked out well yeah. for them, too. Well, I think that's a good good place to start. Yeah. Um, are people selecting to teach their children at home because... The provision at school is not uh, good enough. The class sizes are too big. Is it the staffing issue? Is that is there a, is there an interlinked issue? Are there not the trained people in the classroom to have the expertise to deal with all of the complex needs that are going on? So you children? take that parent last night who was saying, "Well, hold on a second here. My child is not getting a specialist in core subjects. I'm not happy with the quality of education. I'm not happy with the supply teacher. I'm not happy." Because a lot of our problems now come from integrating supply teachers who are almost becoming super plant supply teachers are now almost almost becoming, you know, legitimate staff members. And I'm, I'm struggling now to, to know who's supply and who's 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 not supply. I mean, 
we are becoming quite transient in our in our in our teacher population to where in a staff of I think we've got thirty eight full time members of staff. Mm. I would have known people for years and years and years and and, and now I'm looking around staff and going, this is temporary TA, temporary supply member, yeah. cover for this person, covering and I'm I'm actually losing track and I've never had this before in my school. You're feeding that and getting that feedback from parents that are not complaining. But that feeling that this is a bit bad. feeling short changed, yeah. Short changed, but by by their ch their child kind of not necessarily losing out because I'm sure that that person's doing everything they can. Yeah, but they are not the experts that no parent thought they were going to get when they and they don't know that they don't know the children, they don't know the school. There's the amount of times now it's where this person's given a punishment for a certain thing. You got to pull them to one side as a tutor and say, I'm sorry, we don't do that here. You're almost having to induct, you're, you're, it takes sometimes quite a while to induct people into a, new, into a new school, into the way of things. But now it's almost instant. And that's leading to a lot of issues of that person's then upset that child because they've given the wrong punishment. And, and that then leads to this idea of a lack of consistency. And I've had that situation where, they, you know, the, the, this member, new member staff has had the children with their mobile phones out. And I'm like, what? Oh, and he's like, well, yeah, the, the last school, they were fine with that. I'm like, you're not in the last school. You have to go. And it's that scenario of schools are struggling to recruit, retain. They're struggling to get the specialists in. Yeah. So if you're a parent who's a conscientious parent, and we know how important education is, and, and we know uh, that parents are demanding, and fair play to them. I will educate them myself. Yeah. So, so in this situation, when the head teacher's obviously throwing the gauntlet down and saying, yeah. it's my way or the highway, you know, and you know, I, I've had some experience with this as well. And then literally the same thing happened. Everyone went, well, no, thank you. Uh, we're going to try something else. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. That's your prerogatives. It's not for me. I'm going to kind of move on and do other things. Is there some kind of, is, is, is there something that Ofsted should be doing or the DOE should be doing now with a dump of 8% eight, eight of their staff now? Um, to that there's, a, there's a serious issue there because are they going to be able to recruit the staff? I mean, I mean, 90, I mean, even if they do, you follow that tweet down, even if they do the uh, teach like a champion American style model, 90 pupils in one class or it's essentially being taught in a hall is extreme on the best thing. Are we saying that they are having a proper education in that school? The only thing I've seen them thinking about doing, which is deeply ironic, because they should be stopping or NQTs, brightest and best, and we did a show on this, yeah. where they're now going straight abroad. Yeah. Is that they should be not. <laughs> they're going to take teachers from abroad, like they do with nursing. Yes. So, so we've got to almost kind of do that thing like nurses do and say, come to the UK, come to the UK. Yeah, but, but, but that's the thing. We're taking nurses from developing countries. We're taking nurses from, you know, Malaysia. We're taking countries from, from places like um, Philippines. Yeah. And we're having to do that because our highly trained nurses, the specialised nurses, which the country spent, you know, 20 years educating from pr primary right through to secondary, right through to university, right through then a couple of years in the NHS. And off they go to Western Australia. Congratulations. Now we start to replace those nurses. Why is, our, why is our immigration numbers, half a million people went out of the country last year. They're talking about the record number coming in, which I think is it's one million gain, isn't it? But it's not 700,000, I think, gain when one million came in. And and that's the thing is, is we, we, this is starting to happen teaching. We're starting to get that labour flows because people are saying, well, I could earn more money. And, and again, there's been some really good teacher talk radio shows on that. But going back to the homeschooling situation, if you're a conscientious parent, and I think one of the things nobody's mentioned is our generation of parents are more educated than we've ever been. 
and you have now the fluid working dynamics of two parents being able to. So you're talking about the demand for this essentially RH. I'm I'm saying RH, RH is now more so capable. 1980, 1980. Yeah. My my I am my I am more capable of my children than my than my plaster a father and housewife mother. No disrespect to my mother and father. But they weren't capable yeah, of homeschooling me like I am, or my wife is capable of homeschooling Archie. The direct correlation because a lot of our generation managed to go to that route. Correct. The 97 yeah. influx that yeah. got the university. So, so you, everyone goes to university, labor parts. You, you're talking people late 30s, early 40s, early, you know, late, late, late 40s, 50s. That demographic and what generation would we be? Back end of, of Z, N or Z, I think, RX. We're, where anybody born in the mid seventies to the to, to well, late, <laughs> late late eighties early nineties, and if you take us as parents, yeah, I think Generation X and uh, XR, I think we are because we're we're the ones that you know drink water out of a hose and, and not worry about health and safety, but still play computer games when we come home. So we're that we're that kind of bridge generation. Definitely, not, definitely not a generation that took four liters of water to the classroom. No, we don't. Another generation that takes four liters of water to the classroom. We just did to, drink out the, you know, four liters of water to the classroom just in case you know that there's 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 a drought in the classroom for an hour. I mean, seriously, the water bottles get bigger. The children, the children, you know, don't have. I don't understand why why, why are people walking around with four liters of water? Where are they going? We're going to the desert. It's a classroom, you know. There's a lot of fads that come in. No pencil case these days, but hey, I've got I've got I've got a giant water bottle that costs twenty quid. Some of these water bottles are like wow, twenty quid for a water. I mean, what do you mean for a water bottle? It's got the fragrance. That's the latest one. My daughter's got this one. We, yeah, we've got it. You've got that. Yeah, we, we've kind of been sucked into it. Yeah, the, the, so, I like what you did. Sucked into it. Yeah, yeah. The era of. Uh, era, the era. Yeah. And the price of those pants. Sure. Worst subscription. Anyway. Oh, we, we, anyway, we digress. We, we, we're marketing. So, the 86,200 people yeah. is they're being homeschooled. We all we talked last week about obviously there's another group of students who are just not attending school regularly. Yeah. Um, it's still, you know, in in the context of the, um, you know, 10 million students that go to UK schools, yeah. it's still a small group, but it's a significant group that's grown. It's the pattern. Yeah, it's, it's the pattern. It's so, the direction of travel. It's so the pattern. It's post-COVID. This, yeah. this, this kind of bubble of this market um, has, has grown. Um, so that's one of the things we're kind of looking at tonight. So if anyone does have any thoughts, please put your um, hands up. In a second one, I want to go through the, the government reporting it. I also want to go through the, the recent couple of news stories about offsetting. And and I suppose I want to open this up to the floor as well. I have some concerns about homeschooling and indoctrination. And it's not that I'm suspicious of parents, quite the opposite. I've built, you know, a lot of relationships over the years with, with, with good parents. However, doing some investigation and digging into some organizations some organizations of, let's just say, far-right um, ideology are advocating that parents, like-minded parents, who want their children to be, let's just put it another way, educated in the way they want to be educated. And I'm trying to be gentle with my phraseology and their ideology, phraseology, ideology. And they have on their websites, you know, um, advice on how to remove your children from school, advice on um, homeschooling, and equally a template letter for you to tell the local authority basically to get lost um, and how to tell them that you don't need to be inspected, you don't need any oversight. And when I read through their material, as a former citizenship coordinator, a history teacher, it's quite, it's quite clever. It's, it's, you know, this, these, these are, this is the English people. Here's our green and pleasant land. It's quite cringically sort of like laughable when you look at it. 
but then is hidden, you know, oh, we are made up of Saxons and we are made up of Celts. And, and then comes halfway down one of their worksheets is, and English people are white. And you're like, right, there it is. And unfortunately, I do think we're living in that time now with these culture war scenarios, the um, sex education stories, the the religious aspect as well. I think there's a lot of different competing groups out there who network in social media. You know, I'm not saying the Flat Earth Society want to educate their children in Flat Earth, but, but we are living in that world now where I think it's getting harder for actually legitimate educators to sometimes educate people because we saw it during COVID where everybody had a, you know, everybody had a PhD in virology. Um, and and we're, at, we're at the stage now where I'm getting people telling you that climate change is a theory. Yeah, good luck to that. That's going to age well. And But that's the world we're starting to live in. And that's the, that's the bubble of knowledge. And yet school used to be trusted in that sense. We're living in that environment now where there is a lack of trust, a lack of relationships. And it's a perfect storm that's brewing in the sense that we are seeing children then being taken out of mainstream schooling by parents who you know, every right to educate their child, but I question and I worry about what actually they are educating their children in and for what purpose they're educating their children. And in the echo chamber that we're starting to see in certain parts of the world, I think that's very, 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 very dangerous. And and going back to the case storm, and there's a connection between what the nanny state thing, where does the state have a right to say, I'm sorry, but you are, you know, you are brainwashing your own child. I mean, one of the things about school is that, you know, I was teaching the Holocaust today. As a historian, I have to, and I do want to teach about the likes of the Holocaust. But we have people that deny the Holocaust's existence. Let's be honest about that. We have people who have got really radical ideologies and they send their children into school. And one of the first things we are legally obliged to do is is do a kind of my concern or we have to flag it up. And that's one of the things about schools is schools has done quite well. It's part of the prevent strategy are part of, you know, all the other things that we're now tasked with doing, social social work, etc. Whereas the checks and balances and accountability, and where would the... Where, I'm not saying I don't trust parents, but who would look after those children? And that's not to say that parents can look after their children, I believe they can, but equally, the school is doing... A, you see what I'm saying? And I don't want to say that... I just worry about that. But let's have a look at our sponsor. We're sponsored by John Cat Education, um, we're a publisher of professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools and around the world. Uh, please check out their latest releases and you can use our code, which is JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. I'll say that again. It's JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. So please don't miss out. And you can visit them as well at johncatbookshop.com. And it's johncat with two T's. So J O H N C A T T B U O K S H O P. Did that in such a teacher way, didn't yeah, I? Yeah. It's like, yeah, that guy that does the the legals at the end of the advert. To explore their full range of titles and please advance your professional development today. So please have a happy reading at their material. John Cat is our sponsor. And I've had a message here. And a message is from Tom Rogers, our good friend. Uh, I know you mentioned far right inoculation as a threat, but but also the far right would probably say far left. Yeah, far left, absolutely no problem with that, Tom. Good point. Um, in, in balance, and that would happen both ways. And the same goes for religion, Tom. I'd agree with you completely. Um, it is because I saw that organisation before. That's why I went to that as an example. But I'm sure, yes, there is there is religious indoctrination. There would be anti-vax. It's, it's well, there's a story about anti-vaxing, and and that we have a situation with measles. Currently at the moment, because the number of children are not being vaccinated, we saw again during COVID the amount of misinformation, the amount of, um, I suppose, 
we are living in a world of, of misinformation. This is, to be honest, fake fake news and 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 what would I call it? Um, conspiracy theories. Well, we also yeah, conspiracy theories because we're in the game that we you know, we've got to hand hold our hands up in profession. I don't think we do a lot of a great deal at the minute to really teach about kind of bias and reliable sources. I think that that past the ICT curriculum that yeah. I used to do has kind of dripped off a little bit again because of staff shortages and recruitment issues. Yeah. Um, so according to the uh, Commons uh, Library, they did a, they did a report on uh, why parents may choose to home educate. The top one, as you mentioned, there is uh, ideological and um, philosophical reasons. Uh, religious and cultural beliefs are there as well, interesting yeah. on kind of what we were saying earlier. Um, but the, the top, the, the third one, which you kind of just alluded to, is the dissatisfaction in the school system. And some of the points we brought up last week, mm. uh, I think the Jennings uh, um, article of the Guardian. Do so you think there's a cross-reference and uh, a correlation between the tens? And I'd agree with that. I think that's a fair, a fair, a fair hypothesis that you know as attendance seems to become more of an issue homeschooling seems to increase yeah. i'm sure somebody could do a well, curve on that and that's just yeah. just probably talk about mm. attendance um, um andy byers ahead at uh, framwell gate school in durham uh, sent an interesting letter out to parents this week i'm sure a lot of head teachers have kind of thought about doing this but haven't actually pressed the buttons on it i know that it's been mentioned um He's put that uh, on his letter that today was an unremarkable Wednesday in the second week back after a two-week holiday. 10% of our students were absent from schools. 17% of our year 11s, those most important um, examination years of their life, are absent. Uh, we've become used to these statistics and sadly these patterns of absence have now considered normal in schools. Um, and he's kind of he's kind of really reiterating to parents um, again that you know how much what it, what it looks like if you miss two weeks on, mm. off off school that it's, it's a bit worried particularly for year year elevens um, no obvious kind of need uh, for example where I'm in Birmingham there is a bit of a health issue at the minute around measles and a lot of people are uh, to do some people some schools are suffering because because of that. Um, However, I really like the side up here, the end of it, because going back to kind of responsibility and uh, who bears responsibility for this. For parents of students in year 11 with poor attendance, this is an urgent situation which needs to be rectified immediately. And he does go in the previous paragraph, so please, please can I ask, if your child is absent from school regularly, you seek, you seek to address this and obviously ask us for support if you're struggling with your child but he's really pushing responsibility back onto the parent yeah. um but you know these this is your this is what the point he's trying to make is this is year 11 yeah it's, he's not talking about year seven you they say you are taking um um your finals examinations in less than you know, four months five months time we know if anyone tries to any planning this week how short these terms are mm -hmm. everything seems to be kind of uh, running we were out of time really quickly you know um and he's also made the link there about uh poor habits that then go on to be poor habits employment, in the yeah. for employment later and are we then creating this uh group of people young people who are leaving school with these really bad habits they're then going to go into the workplace uh, later on in life some be replaced by artificial intelligence very quickly. Yeah, well, it, it may, I mean, it, it may, it's, just, it's just really interesting kind of lo looking at that letter. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the worrying thing is thinking about kind of those those points that are on the report. 
and about the dissatisfaction with the school system. Maybe bullying, other reasons, health reasons, short-term intervention, child's unwillingness to go to school, special education needs, uh, disputes with the school, like with education, special needs behaviour, etc. Um, familiar um, um, and um, you know, ideological or religious reasons we've mentioned. I can I, want, can I, I, I can I add one more? Yeah. Home is just too much fun for kids. Sure. Stay at home, play FIFA. Stay at home, play Fortnite. But but, 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 but ultimately, whatever oh. it is on that list, those parents and those children have got to the end of quite a nice Christmas period. At the end, we had Christmas, remember? And then we had a long time after the Christmas period, kind of. Yeah. On, have gone. Nah, I'm not going back this week. But you take a parent, a child who's not bothered going to school, doesn't want to go to school, hates school, doesn't like school, doesn't make a lot of friends at school, doesn't like the curriculum, is not interested. I always a big believer in intrinsic motivation. You take a parent who's socially mobile and themselves, got themselves through universities, got themselves a qualification, maybe works for, for part-time from home, got their own business, those type of individuals. Yeah. They said to themselves, right, my, I'm forcing my child to go to school. Why am I forcing my child to go to school? To get an education. Hold on a second. Yeah. During COVID, what did we do? We, we had, had parents sitting in the background of my, my lessons and, and some of them actually, thankfully, chipped into my lessons. One parent in particular was was, was, was fantastic, actually. Tom H.B. has got to laugh. He knows exactly who I'm talking about. And I actually really like that parent sitting in because they actually chipped in and helped me with the lesson. And I thought, so, actually, I would have them as a TA any day. In my, in my, come on, come on in. Because I do like that. And I think some parents are capable of teaching their children. And I think some parents have said to themselves, well, actually, hold on a second here. If my child doesn't want to go to school and school's not for them, and school isn't as, as attractive as it used to be, or I've not got a relationship with school and it doesn't have the staff that it has. Why shouldn't I educate it? And now I think what happens is people talk to other people and then, and then they know somebody who knows somebody who's doing home education or they get on the internet yeah. and, and, and and they, they find like a support group for, do you say, are you thinking of home educating your kids? Because we've actually encouraged that with remote learning, didn't yeah. we? We showed the how you can educate your children outside school. Well, well, I was gonna, and, I was gonna say how you know, things like the Open Academy, uh, these YouTube tutorials, mm. BBC Bite Size, have we created the homeschooling industry for them? I mean, yeah. I mean it kind of inadvertently, because what we've done is... We, An unintended consequence. Because we, we thought this would be great mm. if there's a... We need to a snappy session, and we want to use kind of multi-sensory kind of things in the room, mm. do videos sometimes, we'll do songs. We've now created all this stuff. We've basically published it, and now basically anyone feels that they can be a teacher or is it a bit like being a football manager everyone thinks they can do it and well kind of comes the funny thing is i actually do think anybody can be a teacher of sorts some of my greatest teachers was my my football manager my football manager coach he's a great he's a great teacher actually ironically he was a maths teacher but as a coach he was second he taught me a lot is that philosophy you now do you need to be in school to learn and, and i don't think that's true i think you can learn outside school in fact i'd say my secondary school my primary school my secondary school, what did I learn? Soft skills, um, how to scrap, how to get suspended for scrapping, um, how to be bullied, how to stand up against bullies, um, how to argue back with teachers, how to argue back some more, how to dive lessons. I think I learned a lot in secondary school. And that's me. You've got a lot of things on that list from your experience. But, but did you ever think about not going to school? In my five years of what I would say was sometimes a third education experience, because I was a bit like Marty McFly. Do you remember Marty McFly and, and you know, she called me chicken, that's me. Away I'd go, like, McFly, that's me. I, I'd literally, away I'd go, and I don't want to get changed much in that, in that respect. And school was difficult for me at times, you know, and, and I did enjoy it. But in my five years of secondary school, I missed three days. Two of those days were for funerals. 
because there was n basically I would probably have to be on my deathbed before my mother would have sent me into school. That's the generation. That was the thing. It was I've got a sniffle here, and I remember sitting in class one day, and the teacher actually sending me to get some water because I my my chest was so bad I literally couldn't speak. So she sent me to get water, and the teacher turned and says, "You shouldn't be in school, Grant. What are you doing in school? Mom sent me to school. Why'd you send you to school?" Now I got an attendance award. Three times, 100% attendance. I still got them somewhere. People used to get 100% attendance. They just go, I wonder, actually, to the floor, does any, does any school give out 100% attendance award? Because that used to be a thing, didn't it? It used to be prize-giving evening. It was like most improved student, most improved this, you know, um, the award for this, work for sport. And here's the list of kids who have 100% attendance. But now, it's it's kind of like, well, that contract, I think I think that's what the, the outgoing Ofsted and I don't always agree with that. It was one thing I think she actually had right. The social contract seems to be weakening and broken. And as a result of the social contract being weakened and broken, I think the pull of school, you take it from a, I take it from a migration point of view, push and pull. You know, people are pulled one way, pushed another way. Mm -hmm. I think our kids are pulled more home. And I think their parents are more at home because jobs now are more at home. They're working from home. I think the home has become more the central hub. And now you, you don't need to go to school to have your friends because that was one of the reasons I went to school because I'd see my mates play yeah, some yeah, football. Now, well, I can keep my headphones on and Fortnite with the cows come home when I don't need to socialise in, in, in person. We are living in a more remote society, so the growth of homeschooling may reflect the growth of working from home culture. Yeah. And if you've got, you know, individuals who themselves want the best for their children and they've got the abilities and the time now, because some people work different hours, they work different shifts, they, they can take sabbaticals. A lot of a lot of jobs, not like teaching, can give people a year or two off or they, and a lot of flexi-working. And if you've got flexi-working, some people can actually have the time now to educate their children. And I think something happened during COVID that just say to some parents, I think some parents struggled so much with school, they, they came back to us and that I can't do phonics. I can't do phonics, by the way. And and they went, I'm glad of school. And, and some attitude to some parents was the opposite, where they went, Thank God for what you, especially primary, I have to say, you know, with any primary school teacher listening, the, the job that primary school did for my children during COVID, my hat is off to you. I bow down to you guys are absolutely amazing. And again, how they adjusted a lot quicker. I think primary school has definitely readjusted to normal life a lot quicker than secondary school. And if you look at the issues in secondary schools, from the vaping, the toilets, the behavior, we have definitely really, really struggled at secondary more than we have primary, I think. Um, I noticed that uh, Lee Nally's listening tonight, yeah. and she 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 kind of uh, posted early, earlier today. And please feel free, Lee, if you do want to kind of uh, point. Uh, she has. She was she was talking about um, the the link between her her experience with Ofsted, and she's particularly interested in the uh, permanent exclusion link uh, to home um, learning learning. So, um, hello, Lee, are you there? Would you like? I to am. Can or? you hear me? Okay, I can. Do you want to share your experience with Yeah, so yeah. I'm a vice principal at a school and I'm in charge of attendance, special educational needs and behaviour. So when it comes... To... God bless you. I know. And oh, Ed, I'll add that in there as well. So I'm in charge of... Oh, you're a right hero you are. <laughs> yeah, which is great on Ofsted Day when you're kind of getting it from all angles. Um, But I kind of see every single angle when it comes to elective home education one i see a lot of parents use it as a way to potentially avoid a permanent exclusion or they know their child is going to end up down that route so they feel that mm. their only option is to potentially electively home educate because alternative provisions are at 
minimal in the area that I work in and the funding has to come from the school, which costs thousands, and we just don't have the budget to be able to do that. Or on the other hand, when I look at special educational needs, I've got pupils that are post-COVID who have autism, who have actually found comfort in their own homes. That coming back into school is extremely difficult for them. And when the parents are trying to engage in some sort of support from the local authority or special educational provisions, it's very minimal. And then they feel their only option is to still electively home educate because there's not that support in that mechanism either. So I think it's a really difficult situation to be in because when I put my attendance head on, I'm then looking at, well, I'm going to end up having to prosecute these parents who are trying their best, but I'm being forced by a local authority or by Ofsted when they come in who are asking me to justify why I don't have an attendance percentage that they want or I've got high levels of persistent absences. So I'm kind of in a difficult situation where in one sense, my attendance head kind of forces parents into elective home education sometimes because they feel there's that's the only way to get out of prosecution because mm. one, they can't get medical evidence from GPs because the services for children for mental health at the moment 18 minute waiting, 18 yeah. month waiting. So they can't get any medical evidence to support themselves. And I just think it's a really difficult situation that actually, when you look at it as a whole, COVID is the breeding ground for this. Because before this, nobody really knew as parents what elective home education was. But now they seem to know what their rights are a little bit more when it comes to elective home education. And I think sometimes when I speak to parents who are going through the decision to electively home educate, we obviously use the line of like, I don't advise this. I wouldn't advise anyone to electively home educate. But I think they have the perception that the school will still check up on them. Yeah, they've still got that security safety. Yeah, that they think, oh, you'll be able to provide us with where we can get work and when you tell these parents and that's not how it works, they kind of think it's going to be the same as COVID home education when actually yeah. it's nowhere like that. And You're on your own, basically, aren't they? Yeah, and one sense, yeah. I think some parents like that because they know they're not going to get checked up on. So what is the repercussions of if I don't produce actually great elective home education for my child, is anyone really going to care? I've got people off my back. I haven't got anyone potentially prosecuting me. I don't have a child that potentially every single day is struggling. Yeah, he's struggling yeah. to get out of bed. He's having an emotional breakdown. Sometimes I think parents do it to give themselves a release, and it's just such a really difficult situation. It's hard to criticise them in their scenario in that context. It's hard to criticise them if they are they're feeling that battleground. Oh, and you're absolutely right. Some of the children I had with autism really, really actually enjoyed and thrived during the, the the homeschooling phase because they got the best of both worlds. They got to be educated. They had the parent ear wigging into the my lessons. I know one I'm talking about in particular. 
And that child absolutely thrived during COVID because they didn't have to run the gauntlet coming to school. They had the safety of being home. And and they did adjust quite well because they were, you know, they'd had a lot of support that around them back into mainstream education. But I noticed the progress they made at home was was very, very was, was brilliant. And and that's the thing that never been discussed about the fact that some children do thrive at home in a different environment. And and especially, you know, children with, with autism, I think because schools and again when you've got a lack of TAs and you've got a lack of, you know, Sankos and these days try and get a Senko in some areas with, with expertise. Schools are, you know, over swamped when it comes to, to needs now, aren't they? And and if you're having a child who you're absolutely saying, you know, is stressed and a parent is not taking the easier path, but they're trying to make they're trying to find a route out, aren't they? And they're they're back they're backed into it in the sense that they've no other choices. I mean, what, what, what is that uh, back in February 2020 mm. when the the government read this report from the um, that's now published on the House of Commons Library, mm. um, they said that they were going to uh, legislate for register of children not in school. Yeah, um, that hasn't happened, um, and that number that I quoted, we don't really fully know the full number. Um, what what is the what is the kind of the consequence on to things like safeguarding there? Where does that fall? Um, is is that back onto the local authority? Well, uh, Leanne, maybe we could answer that, Leanne. I, I, I mean, is it who then has the responsibility? It's the parent, isn't it? It's the parent, not the local authority. The local authority can inspect. If... Yeah, the local authority can inspect. So, someone's just yeah. mentioned: Does your local authority fail EHE? Yeah. No, my local, like my local authority, does go round. Um, they will inspect and they will fail EHE if it's not up to the standard they require and then that can go to a school attendance order where they have to go back to school but the problem you've got there as well is poor local authorities are inundated with ehe requests that how do they go around in the 18 months that they've got to inspect when you've potentially in one term got hundreds in your borough that ehe in at one time it's it's extremely difficult to be able to potentially manage that safeguarding element as well to ensure that they are getting quality EHE on both parts in terms of the parents being able to do the home education correctly and the local authority being able to inspect it. It's extremely difficult. I actually think the local authority that I work in work above and beyond and will try their best to ensure that this is the right decision for the child. They'll come back to the school and discuss it with us. Um, they make sure that we send packs out before parents decide to make this decision so they know exactly what it entails. Um, so, yeah, really, the safeguarding comes down to the parents, but also it's monitored by the local authority as well. That's That's parents... what happens in my area. I don't know if it... Yeah. Different I think anywhere the parent else. legally can ask the local authority not to. I think they can opt out because I've seen that on one of those um, extremist websites, which was basically saying, send a letter to the local authority saying you, you don't need to come and inspect us. We, we, we don't. We, you're not need. So I think again, the parent has the right to reject the local authority do coming around, and, and it's bad that your local authority does. But we know some local authorities are facing bankruptcy at the moment. And their resources are absolutely stretched. And there's that inconsistency, you know, with some local authorities will, some local authorities don't. It's, it's, it's like the same with everything. It's post-school lottery with absolutely everything. Can I ask you a question, Leanne? I think that, I think your opinion on this one, and I think I know where you're going to go with this. I think I can predict, but I'll ask you it anyway. 
Lord Nash, the former Minister of Department of Education, said that homeschooling parents should be inspected by Ofsted. Lord Nash, who runs the Future Academy, said he believed that more than 100,000 children were being home educated, adding, I'd be supervised if more, I'd be surprised if more than 20,000 families are really competent in doing so. So he's reckoning only one in five of the homeschooling parents are actually properly homeschooling. Um, which is his opinion. I, I don't know where he's got that figure from, but that's what his opinion is. Local authorities have very small powers of inspection and there are concerns about serious safeguarding issues. He was speaking to Bridget Philipson, ironically, and the Shadow Education Secretary, who announced that Labour would introduce a register of homeschooling families, educating families. So Nash said he supported Philipson's plans for a register, but believed the regulations should go further and said parents should be inspected and this could be introduced at the same time. He said local authorities currently do not inspect home education parents unless they suspected there was a serious safeguarding problem. He added, by the time it comes to court, parents have a lawyers. Home education lobby is very well organised and the number of people who are very capable of educating their children home, but the numbers have shot up to more than 100,000 in the last few years. So uh, what's your take on, on that situation about the register of, of parents and also that parents should be offended? <laughs> what do you uh, what's your take? <laughs> I just about cope with Ofsted, so I don't actually know how parents would cope with Ofsted. So... For me, that's a no-go area. I think in terms of a register of who's actually doing a home education would be a good idea. But I think inspections is extremely difficult. When I was inspected and I was asked about my EHEs, it was, well, it's a very much a concern because it kind of looks like you're off-rolling. And I was trying yeah. to explain to them that, no, this isn't off-rolling. This is what is happening nationally at this moment in time yeah post covid so no i wouldn't put anyone through ofsted i think i'm um, probably tom knows my views on ofsted <laughs> through my tweets that i put down so but could you imagine no. that could you imagine that going up to a parent like you know you had to do your job right and we're going to send off instead right <laughs> i mean it, isn't that flipping it right the other way when you think about it because it's the it's ofsted usually sent in by parents some schools end up almost by proxy selecting maybe there's some students who just or parents that feel actually when they've been to these open days that this school just isn't going to be supportive and the school yeah. doesn't kind of always like sell that side because they really want to and it sounds horrible but to do it uh you know there's there's some some schools that i can think of in my local area yeah. that don't have a great reputation around SEND. And it's almost a kind of, it's a suspicion in the local area. They don't really want those types of students kind of applying um, to the school. So is that kind of like, I'm sorry, we can't meet your needs. Um, yeah. Think about homeschooling instead. Well, it's not think about school, but I know that I've got an eight year right. who's, uh, there was, a, there was a, 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 a child in my daughter's year and he's still at home in this year eight and they just haven't found anywhere locally for, to meet his needs. Um, so they are homeschooling, but they don't want to. They do actually want to go to school and they want to find a provision for it, but they just can't find anything locally for him to uh, do that. Leanne, what do you yes. think then? You're at the you're you're at the you're at the forefront of this. Bless you. Oh my word! I don't know how you do it. You are really at the forefront of this, both attendance and that. How would you solve it then? What would you What would you say? You had Bridget Phillipson. You had the education secretary. You had a decent bit of not just a, a bit of money. And you say, right, what can we do? What can schools do to to help homeschool? And what can schools do to improve attendance? So 
because the two are connected, aren't they? We're, we're saying they're connected, and send is connected as well. Because I think the things are obviously getting more sort of connected in that aspect of attendance, school, uh, SEND, um, the lack of you know recruitment retention. Because it's a Gordian knot, isn't it, at the moment? Schools. Because what what do we fix first? So let's talk at homeschooling and attendance. How could we fix what's going on? I think it's mainly to everywhere is to do with funding. It's about that element of funding and what we can do. I know they've brought in those attendance hubs that are potentially coming up. I still, as a VP of attendance, are struggling to understand how they are actually going to work. Um, I then you're a about... VP of attendance. You, you're trying to bring it. Well, that we're in trouble already. Well, God, that's not going to go well, is it? If, if, you're, if, you, if you're struggling and, and what's parents going to say, what's everybody else going to say, maybe they need to explain it better. I, th I think that's what it is. I think there just needs to be clarity around what the attendance hubs yeah. potentially are going to involve. Um, because I think if they are used in the correct way, that will really help schools. I think funding around having more individuals in school that can help with attendance. My school alone has over 1,500 pupils. We have two attendance officers. Um because of because of potential funding also the interest around attendance from staff members understanding the impact of it so i i think there needs to be a lot more training around attendance and rather than it being potentially prosecution and going down those routes having that inclusive attendance method rather than yeah. actually looking at national figures all the time like we need to be at 95 percent. we need to be at this point PP should be at this percentage. Yeah. It needs it's to be, be focused on the individual. It's got to be taken yeah. in context of the setting of the area. What you're really sort of saying is more carrot less stick, basically, because but we said last week, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. As this we like tolerant to school rules. Yeah. We I certainly didn't like this idea that the school could reach in and start finding me. But but it's also going back to our previous previous conversation about the pushing staff being pushed out of school kids being pushed out of school, people not feeling welcome in school. It's that kind of scenario. We need to draw them back well, in, don't well, we? Well, the schools themselves look... Is that toxic? Well, it, well, well you, you, look at, you, know. you look at a school from the road, what do you see? Oh. You see the fence, the gates, the... You see all that. And I understand the safeguarding argument, but there's 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 a whole kind of... It, it does look quite... Good. Well, the overcrowding, the old yeah. corridors, the layout of school. I mean, one of, one of my stories today, actually, was looking at how a school newly built 34 million pound school is not fit for purpose because the way it's been built has been built so bad it's led to behavioural problems so you're absolutely right the physical makeup of the school I think the actual ethos of the school the welcoming nature of the school I think schools have become I don't know if you agree with me Leanne I think schools have become more toxic in that sense more aggressive more and and, and we have had to your, your situation you want to be compassionate you want to be kind you want to help these people but you're caught between a rock and a hard place because they don't need the, the look of a school doesn't look like a welcome. Whereas when you talk about primary schools, they do they do have they have a very different sort of feel. But there's also as behaviour in some schools gets more out of control. It's a, it's a kind of um, that physics thing of Newton of your equal opposite force. It's your reaction back. So schools then you know respond by increasing their 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 sanctions and increasing increasing the, the threats and you know and and that's exactly what Leanne's saying you know you're sending letters home to say to parents if your child doesn't wear this uniform your child doesn't do this your child doesn't do that here's the consequences 
as we try and retain some control out of a system that seems to be not in control, there does seem to go back to our court case scenario with kids aren't, you know, we're not letting you pray in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in your own free time in, in the, um, was it the, uh, the playground? Yeah. So, you know, is this, we are driving our, and what I'm saying is, I don't know if anybody agrees with me, and the armor do agree with me, that we're, some children are being driven out of schools yeah. by the, the way that schools well, are being run. Well, and their needs are not and, a, and, a, and it's not the schools that are trying purposely to drive kids out of schools, but the curriculum isn't exactly helping for some kids because we don't have kids doing the GCSEs, the vocational GCSEs, the curriculum, you know. So there's there's kids can't access the curriculum because it's, it's not right. We've got schools under pressure, head teachers under pressure with with, with the exam results uh, under pressure for elite tables, under pressure from, from budgeting. All of that just adds up. Yeah. To a situation where, or you know, I I believe in push and pull. Or I was pulled into school for the virtue of the fact that I knew that school was, especially my A levels, was my ticket out, out of where I lived and, and ticket into you know, social mobility. But now that doesn't seem to be the case. There's less pull. I just think schools are less pull, more push, and and maybe that's the thing. I don't know if anybody else agrees with me. Whether um, Leanne, you agree with that sort of hypothesis that we're pushing out and maybe we need to pull back in. Yeah. Should you just say, just say hello to uh, John yeah. Kid John Cat? We'll say hello to John Cat. We'll come back. But thank you, Leanne. That was absolutely yeah, yeah. spot on. I really, really appreciate yeah. wants to talk, please just follow Leanne. Let us know. Please don't let us just uh, rabbit on yeah. uh, as much as possible. We will do. <laughs> no, no, no doubt. Oh, yeah. Um, and if uh, you have any doubts to that, she can always find Brent's uh, three and a half hour epic. Three hours, 15 minutes. <laughs> but uh, this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational. Uh, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncutbookshop.com uh, to explore the full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Happy reading. <laughs> So summarize then, we, we think homeschool is going to grow. I think I think it's only going to increase. And I think therefore if it's going to increase, I think that's going to, if you, if you apply the business model that schools have, every child brings in um, money. If children and parents are taking their children home and you look at the demographics of future year groups, there are some schools starting to close, some primary schools who are struggling for numbers. It's going to sound weird, but schools are going to have to probably stop children from being homeschooled if they want to be harvested but some trusts are going to have to say the economic viability model is going to be the schools advertise on the back of buses schools know that we're fighting over schools fight over you know kids we're a good school send your children here your kids will be happy kids schools i i think the honestly think some schools now some trusts are doing the same thing unfortunately government has done of over promising and under delivering or trying to get people in and say do this and then when people get their children into a school, it's like, this is not what they said on the back of the bus. And I hate saying that, but I think that's happening. Is, is there a way, as always, sometimes, is there a middle ground where parents can have the homeschooling they want for the child, but also the school provides some kind of... A hybrid? Or a hybrid. A hybrid one. And this was, this was always the... During COVID, we felt that, didn't we? This was always the huge loss, wasn't it? Mm. Um, after COVID, is that the word back to normal was used. I, I understand why that was used for, in some cases, but I think there was a huge opportunity loss. We learned so much really quickly. We generated so much resource. We trained ourselves in this whole new model, and then all of a sudden, 
boom, it was gone. I yeah, think you've hit upon. I think you've hit upon a really good idea. And, and then you kind of yeah. went back into that model yeah. into January, and it kind of felt kind of okay again that we kind of got this model kind of. But what I kind of felt was driving that is this idea of we are glorified babysitting service. That we our job is to is to keep the little you know keep the keep the lambs in the pen while the sheepdogs go and run and round up the adults. You know that's 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 you know her parents go to work. We look after the children. We're an economic support system. That's why all the talk was about getting schools back was you couldn't get anything else back. And in that flexible model, then that doesn't support the economy in the same way because that means parents' productivity. If parents are at home, I think the government's not going to want too many kids to be homeschooled because that may they might think you know stops productivity. Because you saw such a drive. Here's an here's a here's a parallel. Such a drive, and you have William Rees Mogg or Jacob Rees Mogg and some of the other cabinet ministers, especially to the civil service, saying. Get out, get out of home and get back into your offices, get back into your offices and get back into your offices. And I and I do think there is, the, the cat's out of the bag. And I think Leanne's absolutely right, you know. Bizarre, they lost that argument with their workforce, didn't they? Yeah. So it's really interesting how the school education system just literally didn't fight it at all, did they really? Well. They kind of just went, they kind of went with it. But I think especially, I think uh, to back up Leanne's, I've got a big Paul in a second, to back up Leanne's point, if you had a hybrid model where you keep your child in school sometimes to check up on the child, yes, to yes. to have that quality assurance, and that allow the child to go home sometimes, to be yes. homeschooled, but with the support of a school, yes. that hybrid model I think could be reasonably successful. And that's, I can see no reason why that wouldn't be proposed. That would take the temperature down. You'd get the best of both worlds. The child's temperature would be taken down. The parent would be supported. We could check. The checks and balances there of having the networks at school, the safeguarding is done. Our our quality assurance is there. The teaching materials could be provided. And I don't know why that would not, because that for me would be something that I think could be a win-win for both sides, a compromise, an equally a compromised hybrid system. Paul, my good friend, you have your hand up. We'd like to Evening. Hello. Evening, my friend. Um, I had a question. I had a question actually because um, I had a lot extra long day today because we had to keep four children back because of a domestic violence, serious domestic violence. Oh man! Um, and it just when um, Lee Nan was talking before, I wondered whether any of you knew if you were a parent and you wanted to do homeschooling, is there something you have to go through? Is there permission or can you just literally say i'm gonna go home school because i do want i do sort of fear for one or two kids like lee was saying before you know it might just be a way of some parents doing it for them and not really thinking about the child's well-being or benefit i don't know whether you knew um, I, I, they, they can't just they can withdraw the child yeah, I, that's uh, parliamentary reform. Yeah, they can just be withdrawn. They can. The parents have the right to withdraw, and they have to let the local authority of school know. And it's their is their right. They have to provide an education, so they can't just withdraw the child. They are then responsible for, for providing the education. But that was the thing we were discussing about. Well, where does the local authority come in? The local authority can inspect if they suspect, but the parent can also reject that right. The parent is key in this. The parent is the primary educator in that sense. And they have the responsibility in a lotus parenthesis. So it is, and that's what my concern was about those radical organizations, which were encouraging um, parents to remove their children from school, which they felt was indoctrinating their children in, and actually said indoctrinating them in, in the national curriculum as if, yeah, as if. 
and and they were then advising this is how you communicate with school this is what you send to the local authority and they were in essence saying you this is how you play this system so that you can remove your child from school and you can have absolutely zero um, accountability in a sense of nobody is going to be checking up on you because you have the right the right is with the parent um, and that and that's that situation was then about the nanny state and, and Keir Starmer talking about toothbrushing and stuff so you've got a bit of a, a, a weird situation there where you know same where is the state and where is the child and where is the, the country and, you, and, you, and you, you can imagine the scenario we have with social services being stretched because that's another situation of we have you know public social services local councils which you know, and that's it absolutely spot on is their capacity to check up on people has is diminishing, while the number of people to be checked up is now increasing exponentially. And you add poverty on top of that. Yeah. It's an absolutely perfect storm, isn't it? Really? It's incredible, really. And I mean, I wonder, because every every case is should be judged on its merit, but I do fear for kids who, who are in the, in the twos and threes of child protection and safeguarding and things, you know, um, whether parents in those situations can just say, I'm going to homeschool them because I tell you what, if the, if the kids who are on the higher levels in our place, if their parents came to our school and said, I'm going to pull them out, I'm going to homeschool them. It would be an interesting inside of all the teachers and the head teachers had <laughs> kind of thought right. what we would be thinking so, when they so, say, oh, I'm, I'm going to homeschool them. It would be yeah. half, yeah. Yeah. Think, half kind of what? Are you really going to do that? Yeah. The only thing parents need to do is or inform the local authority. Yeah. And then once they've informed them, they need to provide an efficient, full-time and suitable education. Um, it doesn't really say, it does say efficient education. Um, they don't have to follow the national curriculum either. There is no set definition for that. Oh. Uh, the DOE guidance states that it can be interpreted to a meaning education achieve what is intended to be achieved is is the statement the DME. they do not have to follow yeah, a prescribed yeah. national curriculum they are free i have friends who homeschool who are very pro homeschool what they do is they've got a network of four families and quite cleverly they they have uh, about 17 or 18 children between four sets of parents and one set of parents is the creative guys one set of parents is the academic guys one set of parents is the they're out in the mud playing and making worm sandwiches oh. eco guys and, and the other guys are into the sciences and stuff yeah. so between them they sort of share the, the 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 17 children between the four families and they take it in turn now they are you know they've, they've done that i think from an ideological point of view well they, they believe that they can do a better job and they want their children to to flourish that they're, they're in that kind of finer school kind of model of we want our children to be outside this kind of prescriptive education and they're well-meaning and in fact the, the role of that is currently studying um drama music and art at a drama because mm. one of the one of the drama music and art colleges and you know mom was always saying one of the reasons for that is because he was able to she was able to take him to things that you wouldn't have been able to do during school i.e they were able to go out during the day and i, I used to see their posts coming up on, on social media like they were taking the kids to museums during the week and stuff stuff that normal schools wouldn't be able to do they're yeah. well-meaning and well, yeah and they're well-meaning individuals who would know what they're doing and that's my thing and, and not all homeschoolers would be i like that but equally there are brilliant homeschoolers who have done an absolute bang-up job and, and their children are actually thriving as well isn't it but that's the problem there's no regulation there's no guarantee that happens it, 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 it's unclear whether if, if it's unclear whether the child, child is receiving a super education uh, the guidance recommends the local authority should initially attempt to find uh, through an informal uh, contact or inquiries however this is the big kicker here 
there's no obligation for the parent to reply to that inquiry, um, which is kind of a, that, that big worry about safeguarding, I guess, mm. and kind of what happens. But I guess that then just becomes a police matter, would it? If 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 if, if that would if, that, if that's the case, rather than but they too, you know, would the police be alerted if they'd only be if, well, people only get alerted when it becomes a serious problem. Yeah. But then the problem with this is it only becomes a serious problem when something bad has happened, and then you get the lessons are learned. And I think that's one of those slow burning that may come out that you may have a scandal where they, this child has been homeschooled, and as a result of them, that's Paul. I think that's what you're saying, Paul, is that worry about the health and safety of the child. And the school is a place where sometimes we can identify. We saw that during COVID. Of course, that was one of the negative impacts of COVID is that children at home. And the amount of domestic violence that you're exposed to and things that you know so well, early, I, I do share paul i do share your concern yeah earlier on um i heard lee at the bar it might have been lee you were talking about the parents having a sort of security blanket um and sort of getting it wrong thinking that covid was going to be um your homeschooling would be like covid homeschooling and the fact yeah. that schools would provide you with everything and not have that security blanket the kids I'm thinking of need school as a security blanket themselves. And I don't mean from an educational point of view. I mean, if those kids weren't in school for a, a, a however period of time, then I know from our point of view, our, our family support worker and head teacher would do a visit, you know? Yeah. Whereas if they're homeschooled, then there's no link to it. To rob the radar, aren't they? That child is on their own, yeah. you know, and yeah. that's the worry, isn't it? There's no backup. There's no. There's no. There's no sort of security net, is there? There's nobody checking up, and that. And again, it's you know, majority of parents are well-meaning, etc. But that's there's what's to stop, you know. With the, we we care we care for children. We're in educators because we care for children. I think that's what most we're all sort of worried about is that grey area where people are. But we're we're nearly done. Um, just going to say that we're we're obviously sponsored by John Cat Education, um, professional resources to support our teaching and learning in schools in here and around the world. So please check out their latest releases. You can also use our code, which is JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. And you'll find them at johncapbookshop.com um, to explore the full range of titles for your own professional CPD. Uh, thank you. Thank you this evening, guys. Thank you, Leanne. That was absolutely spot on. Um, and thank you for your work as well. And, and, and bless you. I think you're an absolute, um, the absolute star. I don't, I don't know how you do it, but you do it because like many of us, you care. And it must be really difficult when you're trying to do your best. And, and we need more be doing exactly what, we, what you're doing so thanks very much you appreciate it and 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 again keep, please keep in touch as well um because we i think we're going to come back to this one this will be one of those that i think is going to come back to because i don't think this is going to go away i think the situation is going to get and um, for me a little bit worse and i don't think we're waiting for the cavalry to come i don't think a change of government would initially change very much in may it were a couple of years I think it's, you know, we're going to see, unless the funding, I think you're absolutely right about the funding. We, we are screaming for funding, but not just that. The funding needs to come for the mental health. My wife is a mental health professional, and I can tell you they are absolutely on their knees. It mirrors exactly what is going on in school across that sector as well. And when you hear things about we're going to send a mental health professional in the school, first thing I'm going, where, where are they going to get them from? Because they're just, they're going private. They're all going private, and they're walking too. So I think like us, um, the social services, the mental health professionals, teachers, we're all in the same situation now and we're all fighting that battle as much as we can. And I just wish they'd back off the likes of Ofsted and, and give us the chance to, to help us out, work with us rather than sometimes work against us. But that's my feelings on that. And thank you very much for listening, guys. Um, is Paul on the, is um, the professor on the other side, um, HB? 
believe so. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, so he is. He's not on strike like the rest of Northern Ireland today. No, although one of one of my one of my year elevens went on strike today and then wondered why he got across on his behaviour report. Well, is he part of a union? <laughs> <laughs> Send him my way. He's part of <laughs> only I could say that, THB. You know, only I could say that. Yeah, anyway, okay. yeah, Paul is on the other side. We've got one or two technical problems, but he'll be on in a few minutes. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the gremlins of the whole public public sector strike in Northern Ireland, bless them. So, yeah, Paul's, Paul's uh, the profs on the other side. And, of course, you can listen to us back on um, on Spotify. And equally, where you get for the next 30 days, we'll upload this. And, and again, thank you, Leanne, and, and absolutely brilliant. I thought that was a cracking contribution. And thank you, Paul, as well. Yeah. And if you like what we've done, there's a whole site now on the Teacher Talk Radio yeah. page where we've got the AI uh, show that's been kind of published yeah. on those uh, top podcasts as well. So please feel free to listen back yeah. and share. And I'll see you next Thursday. Good night. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.